Okay, so we're in uh, uh, Philippians. Uh, what we do is we do verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. And this morning in Philippians, we're going to be studying Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. And we're going to see some great stuff about how to have more peace, more peace in our lives. And it's necessary. We live in a culture with a lack of peace. Have you noticed that? Everybody is restless. Everybody goes with that song, I can't get no satisfaction. That's the theme song of our world. They can't. They can't get satisfaction. They can't get peace. So I'm going to give you some tools this morning from God's Word that will help you have more peace. And it all kind of centers around the verse that's right in the center of our section of Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Verse 6 says this. It's a great verse. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And here's our verse, verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a great verse. Peace. The word peace there means arion in the Greek. It means rest. It means quietness of soul. It means serenity on the inside. How many of you want more of that? I do. I want more peace. And the the promise we're going to see today is as we apply these principles from God's Word, we can have more peace. Jesus said about peace in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give it to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Jesus also said about peace, John 16, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me, in Christ, you may have peace. Peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Jesus also said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, he said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you, notice, rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble heart, and you shall have rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Peace. 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 God wants us to have peace. And so we're going to learn right from the Scriptures this morning how to have more peace. And we're going to see some great principles, some tools that God is going to give us from his living word that will help us live with more peace in our daily lives. And we need that. And so there's six things, if you want ahead of time a preview of how to have more peace, there's six things that need to be in in effect in our lives if we're going to have more peace. We have to have right relationships, right focus, right spirit, right prayers, right thinking, and right living. And so let's look at that this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. Okay, here we go. It says, therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy, my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement, also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, Paul is addressing one of the main issues he was, he was trying to go after in writing this book or this letter to the Philippians. Now, a big part of why he wrote the letter to the Philippians was a thank you. We're going to see that in the remainder of this chapter. Paul was thanking them for the gift that was brought to him while he was in Rome in prison by Epaphrodites. And so this really is a thank you letter in many ways. But also there were some issues in the church. We saw a couple weeks ago there was the issue of false teaching. Remember? There was Judaizers coming in and trying to lay trips on people that they had to be circumcised if they're really saved. So Paul addressed that in chapter 3. And, and now he's addressing one of the ma- other main issues where he wrote the letter, and there was disharmony in the church between two ladies, Yudia and Sintika. And these ladies were, were at each other's throats. 
And we know from the scripture they were leaders in the church. Paul said about these two ladies, uh, they shared in my struggle and the cause of the gospel. They were leaders, but they were fighting, and there was disharmony between the two of them. And so Paul addresses that now. By the way, that'd be kind of tough. Well, these letters, the way they operated, when they'd go back to the church, they'd be read, read publicly to the whole church as so the whole church gathered together. I, I just imagine these two ladies kind of go, ooh, underneath the seats as their names were brought up. Good thing there's not conflict between ladies and churches today anymore, right? <laughs> Whoa, better not go there with that one. But there's, there's still, and men in church and women in church, there's still disharmony. And so the first thing that we need to see that if we're going to have more peace in our daily lives is we have to have right relationships. We have to be at peace with especially brothers and sisters in Christ that we fellowship and that we know. It's very important. We need, we need to be people that are people of peace in our relationships. Because you know what? It's hard to have peace personally when you're at odds with other people. And, and listen, we've got to be proactive in this thing of pursuing peace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 in the Beatitudes, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Interesting, in this declaration to these two ladies in this chapter, he even said if you need to get a third party involved, get a third party involved. If you need someone to help these two ladies walk through this thing, get this thing figured out and fixed. And sometimes, you know, sometimes when we have conflict with other people, sometimes we need to bring in someone for some counseling or some help to help us work through this thing. Hey, husbands and wives, sometimes the biggest conflicts is with our spouses, right? And there's nothing wrong with bringing a third party in and getting some coaching and getting some counseling and some help. That's what Paul's addressing here when he says this is indeed, back to verse 3, indeed true command, I ask you to help these women, help these women work through this conflict. And sometimes one of the best things we could do if we have conflict, especially within our families and especially within our marriages, don't be afraid to get Christian counseling. Heidi and I have a number of times in our last 32 years of, of marriage, we've had some issues, some spats, some things we needed some help with, and we've gotten some Christian counseling. Not, that's, any good athlete will get a coach. Anybody that wants to have a good marriage sometimes needs some coaching to work through some things. And that's what Paul's advocating to these two ladies. Get some help. Help these women work through this thing. And so again, if we're going to have peace inwardly, it's important we pursue proactively peace in our relationships with other people. How do we do that? Matthew 18, 15 tells us that. Matthew 18, 15 says if someone sins against you, you feel like you've been wronged and there's a lack of peace in that relationship, go to them in private, show them his fault in private, and then if he listens to you, you won your brother. In other words, don't wait for them to come and kneel on broken glass and ask your forgiveness. You go to them, and you work it out, and you try to address what's hurt you, and then you, then you, then you let it go. The Bible says, Ephesians 4.32, after you've brought it to a brother or sister, something they've wronged you in, then it says forgiveness is necessary. What did Jesus teach us to pray? Father, forgive us our debts as we what? Forgive our debtors. The Bible says uh, in, in Romans chapter 12, it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Peace. It's important to pursue peace in our relationships with others, and we need to be proactive again in doing this. Jesus made, made this a priority even over worship. Did you know that? 
Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, it says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, in other words, if you're worshiping, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there at the altar, go, first be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. I like Hebrews chapter 12 in this too. It says this, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification which, which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many may be defiled. Do you see that, church? What does it say about peace there with people? Pursue peace. Be peacemakers. Be proactive. Work it out. Bring it to the person that's hurt you and caused bitterness or whatever, and then forgive them as God forgives you, and then let it go. Let it go. That's the first principle for peace, right relationships. Next principle for peace. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Great verse. Rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. Again, I say rejoice. Here's the second principle for peace. Not only do you have to have the right relationships, you've got to have the right focus. Because sometimes your circumstances in life aren't going to be great. Sometimes your circumstances in life are going to be tough. And you're saying, how can I have peace in the midst of these circumstances? My, my health circumstances, how can I have peace in the midst of my health circumstances? How can I have peace in the midst of my financial distress? I'm having a hard time paying my bills. How can I have peace in my family when I have a prodigal son or, or daughter? How can I have peace when I'm at work and people are just driving me crazy at work? How can I have peace in the midst of this? By getting your focus off the circumstances and getting it onto the Lord. Rejoice, not in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I say rejoice. And Paul was a great example of this. Acts chapter 16, when he was in the city of Philippi, wrongfully, falsely accused, thrown in prison, beaten with rods, put in a dungeon with stocks, and it was about midnight. Paul and Silas were singing hymns of praise to their God. Rejoicing in the Lord, always. Again, I say rejoice. And when you do that, your focus will change from your circumstances. Get the focus off the circumstances, and you just start praising the Lord. And in his presence is fullness of joy, and in his presence is peace. Peace. Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Remember that song? You don't want me to sing anymore. I get it. I get it. But we're to rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice, and when we do that, we go from turmoil, we go from restlessness, we go from stress to focusing on the Lord, we go to peace, and we go to joy. And it's interesting, this verse is not a suggestion, church. In the Greek, it's imperative. You know what that means? It's a command. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Well, my circumstances aren't letting me rejoice. I don't have joy because of my circumstances. Well, get your eyes off your circumstances. Get them on the fact that, as we saw in the last couple of verses, your names are written in the book of life. That Christ in you is the hope of glory. That, and, and as you start rejoicing in what you have in the Lord instead of your circumstances, there'll be peace as you start realizing, man, I'm forgiven of my sins. We celebrate that with communion. If we believe in Christ, we're forgiven. Get your, get your focus back on the fact that you have the Word of God to give you truth, to be living and active in your life, to make you more like Christ. Focus on the fact and rejoice in the fact that you're part of a great church where you have brothers and sisters that love you and care about you. 
Focus on the fact, rejoice in the fact that you have a Savior that's adopted you into his family if you believed in him. And you're, you're a joint heir with Christ. And you have all the promises of God for the rest of eternity to rely on and trust in. Focus on that. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And as you get the focus off the circumstance and all that you have in the Lord, you're going to have peace. And you're going to have joy too because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And then it says in verse 5, after the right focus, now we've got to have the right spirit. Let your gentle spirit be made known to all men. The Lord is what? It's near. Right spirit. Now the word uh, gentle, spirit, some of your versions will say forbearing spirit. It means learning to have a gentle spirit even when you're wrong. That's what the Greek word implies. A spirit that forbears with people even when they wrong you. That's important because sometimes our interaction with people will rob us of our peace. Sometimes people will drive us nuts. And it just provokes us and gets us in the flesh. And that's where we got to go back to, okay, we got to have the right spirit. And question, how do we have the right spirit? By realizing the Lord is near. Now, there's two translations or interpretations of that. One interpretation, the Lord is near. The Lord will be coming soon. Another uh, interpretation of that verse is the Lord is near in that he's right here present with us all the time. He's omnipresent. And, and if we draw near to him, he will draw near to what? To us. He's near. And as we have this nearness to Christ, as we have this abiding relationship with Christ, he'll help us to have a forbearing, gentle Christ-like spirit. And here's, the, here's what Proverbs 15.1 says. A gentle spirit turns away wrath, anger, and gives you peace instead of anger in your interaction with other people. Hey, one of the, one of the, one of the guys that really exemplifies this to me in our campus is Pastor Steve, our U-Turn for Christ pastor. Because on a daily basis, there's crises in U-Turn for Christ. When you got guys coming off the street, struggling with addictions and drugs and alcohol, I remember his office used to be right next to my office, and we have these little like paper-like walls. You can hear each other between offices, and the youth pastors are next to me now. But Pastor Steve used to be right next door to me, and I remember on a regular basis, people would come in and just be up in arms. I mean, like this. Pastor Steve is expert on this. After 18 years of working with this ministry, he's an expert on learning to dial it down, just bring forth scripture, a gentle answer turns away wrath, give grace for anger, and it just dials it down. A gentle answer turns away wrath. And we can practice that in our relationships better, can't we? Way too many times we get dialed up instead of dialed down in interaction with other people. And we need to learn that, we, hey, a forbearing spirit is necessary in our relationships and for our peace because the Lord is near. Can I get an amen from that, church? Amen. <laughs> I, I like uh, Peter when he was addressing women in, in marriage. He said, hey, a gentle and quiet spirit, it's precious to the Lord. That's the kind of spirit that God wants us to have, a forbearing, gentle, quiet, gracious spirit because the Lord is near. And then it goes on to two great verses, two of my favorite verses in the New Testament. After we, after we see having the right spirit, now we have to have the right prayers. And what are the right prayers? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now listen, 
the right prayers are this. Right prayers are this. First of all, when it says be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer, the word prayer there, the first word for prayer there means communion with God. Just spending time in God's presence. Drawing near to him so he could draw near to you. And, and as we just spend time in his presence, he is the prince of peace. Jesus is the prince of peace. And he'll impart peace to us by just communing with him and spending time in his presence. But then after that, it says our prayer should also be marked by thanksgiving. The Bible says, in everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. And here's what happens. As you go from just spending time in communion with God, and then you spend some time in thanksgiving, what happens is, again, you get your focus, not on your circumstances or the tough things, you get your focus on having a thankful heart. And you enter his courts with praise and his, his gates with thanksgiving. And that brings more peace. But then you go from that to supplicating and letting your request be made known to God. And how does that bring peace? Because you start taking the burdens that you're carrying and, and you start casting them upon God in prayer and letting him have it. And it gives you peace. I, I love Peter. The apostle Peter put, put it this way. First Peter 5, 7, he said this, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Another version says, cast all your anxiety upon him because he, what, cares for you. Interesting. Peter was a fisherman. He would cast nets all the time out into the sea. Just, and he's just kind of giving us this imagery. What we do in prayer is we take what we're burdened by and we cast it like a fisherman would a net out into the sea. We cast it in prayer and put it in God's hands and let it go. Where did Peter learn that from? Jesus. Jesus was an example to him for three years. He'd wake up in the morning, Jesus wouldn't be there. She'd be up on the side of a mountain, he'd be praying in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of the spiritual warfare, in the midst of all the stress he was dealing with three years of ministry. He would begin his day, as was his custom, on praying alone. Peter saw Jesus on the night he was arrested. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane with him. And what was Jesus doing in the midst of the stress of facing the cross and the arrest that night? What was Jesus doing? Jesus was praying. And he asked Peter to pray too. And he prayed three times, Father, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass for me, but not my will be done. Your will be done. What was Jesus doing there? He was casting his anxiety, his stress, his distress of the cross onto the Father and giving it to the Father. And then he left that garden of Gethsemane and went with his eyes like flint towards the cross to die for your sins and my sins. Cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. And then the promise is, as you do that, as you cast your cares upon him, as you give it to him in prayer, here's what happens. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your what? Heart and what? And your mind in Christ Jesus. I like that. It's guard, the word guard there is a military term. It's, it's for when a soldier would guard a fortress. And what it's saying there, as we give things to the Lord in prayer, as we let him have those burdens, this, this peace is like a soldier, a garden of fortress around our heart and our mind to give us peace. And he does. He does. I remember uh, 30-some years ago, uh, before I asked Heidi to marry me, oh, I was stressing. And I don't stress about a lot of things, but I was stressing about that because I had grown, grown up in a home that was kind of dysfunctional. There was alcoholism. There was problems in, the, in my parents' marriage. And I feared 
marriage. And then I, when I started dating Heidi, I realized she's the one. And I felt, got, got to that place, you know, guys, what I'm talking about where you get the ultimatum, you either, you either uh, go for it or not. And I knew I was planting a church after that, uh, after that spring, and I was going to be moving to San Diego to plant our first church. And, and she made it clear she wasn't going with me unless we were married. And so I went away for three days and took my break from school, graduate school, took my break from uh, being a college pastor. I just went away for three days with my Bible, and I prayed. And I prayed. And I prayed, and the Lord, I said, Lord, you gotta, you, I, got, I need something here. I'm, I'm giving this burden of whether I should get married right now or not to you, and, and I need this to be the right answer. I prayed. And I prayed. I'll never forget, by the end of that three days, I, and it's interesting, I fasted and prayed. All I did was drink uh, uh, liquids for three days, and I prayed. You know, by the end of those three days, I'll never forget it. God gave me an answer. She's the one. Don't let this one get away. And I remember it was almost, it was one of, the, one of those times where the Lord answered a prayer, and he made it so solidified in my heart, and he made it so clear in my heart, he just answered the prayer. And you know what happened after that? I asked her, first of all, to marry me. And she said, well, did you ask my dad? I said, yeah, I did last night. And, and she said, yes. But after that happened, after that time of prayer, and I gave it to the Lord, and the Lord spoke to my heart, I had peace. There's no more stress. Because I had given it to the Lord, Lord answered the prayer, and there was peace. See how that works? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension and understanding, shall guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Prayer. Prayer is the antidote for stress. And my John Hoppe translation of that first verse of being anxious for nothing but everything but prayer, here it is. Stop worrying, start praying. Say that again, church. Stop worrying and start praying, man. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So right prayers will bring peace. Let's go on now. Right thinking is the next thing. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Another version says, let your mind dwell on these things. Church, I'm going to be real honest with you. Sometimes we don't have peace because of our stinking thinking. The Bible says, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, so he is. And if you want to have more peace, sometimes you've got to do a better job in guarding your mind and feeding your mind. Those are two things, negative and positive. We need to guard from the bad things, but we need to feed with the good things. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And sometimes we don't have peace in our lives because we're letting things get into our minds that corrupt our minds and take away our peace. I was reading this week, the average American watches 40 hours of television a week. Where do they get the time? That's six hours a day of TV, just about. It's crazy. And then we not only have TV corrupting our minds nowadays, but we also have the internet, we have all the social media stuff. We've we got to guard ourselves from that stuff. 
And one of the ways we could have more peace in our minds is by, by putting more of a guard and cutting out things, maybe some cable stations, maybe some a filter on our internet, maybe some things that will guard us from things that are polluting our minds. Because as a man thinketh, again, so he is. But we not only need a guard, listen church, we not only need a guard, we need to feed. Very important. We need to guard our minds from corruption in this world. The Bible says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God that which is good, acceptable, perfect. So guard our minds, but we also need to feed our minds. Feed our minds with what? We're doing doing it right now. With God's word. Ephesians 5.26 says, we're washed by the water of the word. There's a cleansing effect as we get into God's word. How can a young man keep his way pure? Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against these. It's so important, church, if we want to have peace, we've got to have our minds guarded and cleansed and fed by God's word. Also, worship. What are we doing with Worship. We're coming into his presence and we're filling ourselves with his spirit. As we praise him, God's, our praises are inhabited by his spirit. Worship's an important part too of getting our minds filled with the right thing. You know, I, I have one of those Alexas. You know what Alexa is? That thing that you speak to and it, it's like almost talks to you back and stuff. Alexa, what's the temperature today? And, and then I'll ask Alexa some questions sometimes. I, I, I can't, I don't know that one. So I'll, I'll stump Alexa every once in a while. But one of the things I love doing with Alexa is I'll, 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 I'll walk in the room. Alexa, play Mercy Me. Alexa, play Chris Tomlin. Alexa, play this music. Alexa, play Maranatha praise music. And it just fills our home with worship. And it brings peace. Because it's filling my mind with those things that are good, excellent, praiseworthy, noble. Letting your mind dwell on those things. So worship we should be filling our homes with worship. Uh, God's word, we should be filling our minds with God's word. The things that are pure, excellent, praiseworthy. It's found right here in this book. The Bible says very clearly, the blessed man, Psalm 1, 2, and 3, is the man who meditates on God's law night and day. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And his leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, what? He prospers. And he'll have peace, too. Peace comes from guarding our mind and feeding our mind and doing what we're doing right now, filling our mind with God's word. It will bring peace, bring peace. So right thinking, and then after right thinking, go back to uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Practice these things. And what will be the result? The God of peace, peace, will be with you. Here's the last thing. Right living. Right living. And here's, here's the process that we're being told. If you want to have right living, you've got to be putting yourself in a position where you're learning. That's what disciples of Christ do is they learn. Disciples are learners. And as you're learning God's word, you can start living right because of what you're learning. But then also, receiving. You know, you can hear God's word till. The cows come home, but if you're not receiving it, it's not going to change you. It's not going to help. You've got to receive. You have humble hearts that receive. And then hearing. That's another part of the process. 
Another part of the process of right thinking is putting yourself in a position where you're hearing God's word taught on a regular basis. By the way, we got a great radio station. If you're in Lexington driving around, turn it to 107.9. 24-7, you're going to hear teaching from God's word where you're hearing God's word. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So you're learning, you're receiving, you're hearing, and then you're seeing. Do you know a part of living right is being around other people that are living right? And oftentimes Christianity is more caught than taught. And as you're, as you're seeing other people being godly, if there's an osmosis, something that you start grabbing from them and you start learning and receiving, as just seeing them doing it, and then you start practicing what you're seeing in other godly people. That's a part of discipleship. That's, by the way, why church is so important. There's no such thing as long ranger Christians. If you think you could do Christianity in an isolated state where you just do it on your own, good luck with that. Ain't going to happen. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. And we need to be together. We need to be around godly people. Bad company corrupts good morals, but good company and fellowship with godly people will help you to live right. You know, practice these things you see in other people that are godly, and it'll help you. Right thinking is important, but also right living, that's important too. You know why? Because we were created to live in God's will. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says this about our creator and about what he created us for. It's a great verse. It says, Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. And as we live according to God's will and we practice godliness and we live the way we're created to live, we start firing on all eight cylinders and we start having peace instead of turmoil because we're living in obedience instead of disobedience. I remember when it happened to me 40-some years ago. Came to Christ. I received Christ. Finally got it. 17 years old. Finally understood what it meant to receive Christ. I opened my heart to Christ. I started learning. I started getting discipled. I started receiving truth from God's word. I started, uh, I started being around strong Christians that I saw it practiced in their lives, and I started imitating what I saw practiced in their lives. I started following them as they were following Christ. And I remember going from the state before I was a Christian to just living with a lot of stress. Even though I was only 17 years old, there was already a lot of stress. I remember having what I called the heebie-jeebies. You know what the heebie-jeebies are? It's when you sit up at night and go, ooh, I don't know what I'm here for. I don't know where I came from, and I don't know if I died right now. I'm right with God, and I, I don't know where I'd go. And I remember even before I came to Christ, I had this, this feeling that I wasn't right with God, and I wasn't living right, and I wasn't. And then I remember coming to Christ, confessing him as my Lord, and finally bending my knee finally living the way that I was created to live. And I wasn't perfect. I still did dumb things. still made mistakes. But I was pursuing holiness. I was seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of a sudden, I started having peace. And I started having this feeling that, man, I'm right with God. I'm forgiven. Things are good. And there was peace. And the Lord started being my shepherd. And he started leading me by sides, quiet waters, restoring my soul. And his goodness and mercy started following me around. And I had peace. Peace. Peace comes from repentance. Peter said in uh, Acts chapter 3, Repent, so that times of refreshing might come from the presence of the Lord. Peace. 
Why? Because when we're living in immorality like I was before I came to Christ, when we're living in drunkenness like I was before I came to Christ, when we're living with all kinds of garbage in our lives, you can't have peace. But when you get right with God, and you start living right, you start having peace. So what do we learn about peace this morning, church? Six things. We've got to be right in six things if we want to have peace. Go back to our list. We've got to have right, one, number one, right what? Relationships. We need to be peacemakers. Pursue peace with all men. Number two, we're going to have right focus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Number three, we've got to have the right spirit. And the way we have the right spirit is realizing the Lord is near, staying close to the Lord, and, and draw near to him so he draw near to you, and then have that forbearing spirit, that spirit even that's gentle even if you're wrong and it turns away wrath. Number four, we need to have right prayers. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then we've got to have right thinking. That involves guarding our minds and feeding our minds, letting our minds dwell in those things that are excellent and praiseworthy and noble, feeding our minds with God's word and with worship in the presence of God. That will give us right thinking. And lastly, we've got to have right living. We've got to be in a position where we're learning and we're receiving and we're practicing those things we're seeing in other godly people. And as we do that, we'll have more peace. Now, some of you might be here this morning and you don't have peace because you don't have the Prince of Peace. And you know what? The Bible says that if you receive Christ, if you receive, but as many as receive him, he gives the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. And if you've never done that before, you're not going to have peace until you receive Christ because he's the Prince of Peace. And so I want to encourage you here this morning, if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord, if you were to die today, you don't know for certain you're right with God. Make today be your day where you receive the Prince of Peace. The Bible says all you got to do is one thing. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you could be saved. But you got to admit that you need Jesus. The Bible says all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but God demonstrates his own love for us while we're yet sinners. Christ died for us. And so if you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord, if you've never fully given your life to Christ, make today be your day. He'd love to come into your heart and give you peace. But you can't have peace without Jesus. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And I'll give you an opportunity in the prayer time if you want to receive Christ, if you want to confess him as your Lord, I'll give you an opportunity this morning to do that. And I'll just pray a simple prayer with you where I can help you pray this prayer of confessing Jesus as the Lord of your life, and he'll give you peace. All right, let's pray, church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning, God. It is truth. It is uh, a living, an active word that helps us to have the things you desire for every human being to have. And that starts with your love and your joy and your peace. Thank you, God, that as we apply these principles from your word, we can have more peace. Help us to be people that are living out what we're learning here. Help us to be people that are peacemakers and having right relationships with others. Help us to be people, Father, that have the right focus, rejoicing in the Lord always. God, help us to be people that stay near to Christ so he can give us that spirit that's gentle and forbearing towards other people. Lord, I pray, too, for help us to be people of prayer, God. Prayer is the antidote to stress. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer. We're supposed to be seeking your face in that way, Lord. Lord, I pray, too, for this area of thinking. Help us to be people that are more careful in our thinking, Lord. Help us to be people that are guarding ourselves from things that are corrupting our minds and feeding our minds with your word 
and with your worship, Lord. I pray for that, Father, and right thinking. And lastly, Lord, I pray for right living. Forgive us, Lord, when we get derailed and we go back to the ways of the world. Help us to repent of that and help us stay in that track of seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to get right with you, Father. They don't know for sure that they're right with you. They don't know for sure that they've received Christ into their hearts. They don't have a time in their life where they've said, I am confessing Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. If you're here this morning and you want to do that and have the Prince of Peace come into your heart and forgive your sin and be your Savior and you be your Lord, I'd love to pray with you this morning. And here's all you got to do is you just got to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me that I might confess Christ as my Lord and my Savior. Raise your hand if you want to do that right now. I see a couple guys right here in the front row. Praise the Lord. Another guy in the middle right here. Anybody else, if you want to confess Jesus is the Lord of your life this morning, raise your hand and I'll pray for you. Just keep your hands up, guys, that want to do that. Just raise your hand this morning. I'd love to pray for you this morning if you want to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life. Just raise your hand right now if you want to do that. Christ wants to give you peace, but you've got to receive him if you've never done that before. If you need to do that this morning, raise your hand right now and I'd love to pray for you. Anybody else? If God's knocking on the door of your heart, don't close that door, open the door. And the Lord will give you more peace. All right, for you guys that raise your hand, just stand up right now and I'll pray for you. And you can pray with me. Stand up and, and this will be your opportunity to pray to receive Christ. Let's pray with these gentlemen here at church. Just pray out loud this prayer. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, come into my heart forgive my sin. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I believe in my heart that you have risen from the grave, and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.